Hey, everyone. Welcome to Queerly Recommended, the podcast where we recommend the best in queer TV, film, fiction, and more. I'm Tara Scott. I review queer women's fiction at The Lesbian Review, Smart Bitches, Trashy Books, and Lambda Literary. And I'm Chris Bryant, a contemporary romance writer with almost 20 books about women loving women and a new one coming out on May 1st called Forever. Woo! I'm so excited about that one. That's Yes, it's like a queer bachelorette story. Who doesn't want to read that? I want to read it and also I want it to be a TV show. TV, take note. <sighs> I know. Make us a queer yes, bachelorette, I would please. love it. I would love it. I know. <laughs> uh, if you would like to support our show, we have a Kofi link in the show notes. It's a site where people can go to support their favorite content creators like us. If you want, that's amazing. If not, that's okay too. You can even just tell a friend that you think needs another queer book or TV show or movie in their life. Now, Chris, I hear that congratulations are in order, except not for Chris Bryant, for Britt Ryder. Yay, Britt Ryder! Yes! I, well, not me. Britt Ryder is a <laughs> forward indie finalist for Not Guilty. That is amazing so that's exciting. News. I'm very excited. And I guess it'll be, the winners will be announced in mid-June, I think is what they said. And what category so that is, exciting. is Britt Ryder's Not Guilty nominated in? So this is good. It's under LGBTQ+. So uh, it is so there's a chance. Yeah, there's a chance. It's erotica, so I don't know, you know, what the history is on on awards given in that category for erotica or erotic romance i don't know Mm -hmm. but i'm hoping i'm hoping yeah i hope so too and and the uh the lammy nominations are out too which is this is always a fun time of year as all the awards start being shortlisted and so lesbian romance had really great selections Mm -hmm. we had chemistry lessons by jay go around by ej knows in the long run by Haley cass Red Tide at Huron Bay by Jerry Hill, and The Headmistress by Melinda McKay. Which you know. Oh, yes. You know I love that book. <laughs> it's so <laughs> good. <laughs> and the gay romance selections looks pretty good, too. It's Best of the Wrong Reasons by Sandra Santiago, Dublin Bay by Go John Sander. Patrick. Yeah, Sandra is one of your fellow BSB authors. Yes. Excellent Sons, A Love Story in Three Acts by Larry Benjamin, Floridian Nights by Lance Ringel, I hope I said that right, and The Other Man by Farhad J. Dedi Buryor, which I also hope I said right. Congratulations. <laughs> you, yes. To, I'm so excited. Right? It's a great slate. And there are many more categories up at the Lambda Literary website if you want to go and take a peruse through. These are just the categories that we're most excited about. Right. Yes. It's a pretty good time. It is. So right now, though, it's listener question time. Yes. Which I miss because we don't always have listener questions. But we got a great question from Sheena at the Lesbian Review. I would like to know which film each of you would want to make queer if you could change one film. All right. So my film. Here's my film. Okay. Because I've seen it a zillion times, at least in my lifetime. Yes. While you were sleeping. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's a part two, okay. but let's find out what's your question. Or I'm sorry, what's your what's your selection? Okay, your choice? so I have one, and I just actually had another one spring to mind that I am so Ooh! in love with that I'm going to give you both. Okay, so the first, because also to be fair, the first one was a bit of a cop-out. 
Ocean's <laughs> 8. I would like Ocean's 8 to be overtly queer. Thank you very much. Right. There, it's so subtext. It's there. It's just it's, not there. Right. Yes. Right. Like the chemistry is there. It's super subtexty, especially around Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett's characters. And I'm sorry, like, just make them make out. That's all I want. If they could just make out and that's nice. ta-da, done. Wonderful. But, and this would also require a large overhauling of the script because it is a, an entirely problematic script. I'm going to say that. I know this. But what if Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, the oh 1950s God. musical. Seven Sisters for Seven Sisters. Yes. Fuck queer. Make it gay. And I don't know. Maybe some of them are brothers with brothers. And maybe seven brothers for seven sisters. brothers. Yeah. I don't know. Well. But like, but what if? Now. Now, the problem with it, of course, is that all those women were kidnapped in that movie. And so there's no real, I would say the consent in it is dubious at best. So it would need a revision. A complete overhaul overhaul of that. Right. So that it's not rapey. But if we could do that... (laughs) Kidnappy, rapey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would love to see it. I don't know. I mean, like, Moulin Rouge might be fun to see as queer as well. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's so many. Yeah. There's so many. Yeah. So the follow-up question to that was our friend Kathy asked, who would you cast? Yes. And I have mine. I know mine. Yes. Like, mine, like, boom, came to me right away. Yeah. So, obviously, we're going to keep Sandra Bullock because, you know, Sandra Bullock follow-up question to the follow-up question is sandra bullock the same age that she is in the movie or is she the same age she is now uh i'm gonna keep her same age as she was in the movie because you know it's always a comfort movie for me to go back Mm -hmm. and watch and it's just you know she was just so adorable in that movie yeah uh i think now she looks very professional very i don't know what like what is that word she's very mature i mean she's she's gorgeous and sexy but she's also in her 50s like it's right yeah a long time for her Right. So I'm going to go back with that because you're going to find out who my supporting cast is. Yes. And you're going to say, okay, this makes sense. Mm-hmm. So here's the deal. So Peter, who falls in the uh, on the track and she saves Peter, she's really saving Ruby Rose. Yes. You know, kind like. of a, you know, nice looking, but kind of a jerk sort of, mm-hmm. you know, because when Peter comes awake, you know, he's all about himself and he's very vain. And, you know, this is stuff she doesn't know. Yeah. But then Peter's brother, who's really going to be Ruby's sister, yeah. that Sandra hooks up with in the end, Yes. spoiler alert, it's going to be Anna Kendrick. Love I her. love her. And I think that that age, because I don't, I mean, she's got to be, what, early 40s? I don't know how old she is. Late now? 30s? How old is Sandra? I, she's I don't know. 30s. We're going to look this up. So, yeah, let's look it up. Because I, I think that that cast would be perfect. That would be super good. She was born in 1985, so so she's 37-ish. Yeah. That could work. I think that would work. Yeah, I could, that would totally work. Yeah. So that's that's who I would cast. Mm-hmm. I would keep Sandra Bullock. Ruby Rose would be Peter, and then Anna Kendrick would be the love interest, the brother, the sister. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Shit, I love it. What about you? Well, what about you? So for Ocean's Eight, I would honestly, I wouldn't change anything about the cast. I would just change some of the story. That's what I would do. Okay. And yeah, who would you hook it up? Who would you hook up besides 
Sandra and Kate. Who else would you hook up there? Rihanna and Aquafina. What are we doing? I know. That's where I'm a little less sure. I. Polly? Let's make it Polly. Sarah Paulson? <laughs> no. Oh, Polyamorous. Polyamorous. <laughs> Very different. Yeah, so. I'd be in on that. I, I bet you could. <laughs> I'm more bet you <laughs> I totally would be in on that. Uh-huh. I know. So, I'm I'm not totally sure. Because, yeah, I do think Rihanna. But I think. She's so pretty. But I think maybe with Mindy Kaling's character. I don't think we got to see enough of that character. Yeah, we didn't get to see enough of either one of them. But I feel like Mindy was too, uh, like, Rihanna's super laid back and chill. And I think Mindy was too focused, too, I don't know, too uh, nervous. You know, like a little... Right, little but I think that's also why you can't put her... You can't put Mindy Kaling with Sarah Paulson's character either. But I don't think yeah. Rihanna would fit with Sarah Paulson's character. Actually, no. Aquafina and Sarah Paulson's character would be hilarious. Especially given that, like, Aquafina <laughs> is a thief. And Sarah Paulson's right. character is, well, probably also a thief given her garage. <laughs> that's true. At a minimum, they would become business partners. I think. Right. But maybe. But wait, you just might have your cast now for your next movie. Yes. We just casted it. (laughs) 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 And then throw in Kristen Stewart because I don't know. No. Yes. No. No. Yes. She was wonderful in Happiest Season. But that's the only thing she's ever been good at. Sorry, everybody. I'm not a Kristen Stewart fan. To be fair, she, I feel like she is one of the most polarizing actors for queer women. You either, well, no, her and Ruby Rose together. And actually she and Ruby Rose could fall for each other in seven (laughs) sisters for seven (laughs) sisters. There's truth to this. There's, you know, I feel like she plays the same character in every single movie. It's kind of like Julia uh, Roberts. Who else? Julia Roberts. Well, Come on. Look at you, Julia Roberts. No! She's not. She's actually, she does better. She Uh is more of a character actor than Kristen Stewart is. Except they keep writing the character, Julia Roberts. But let me tell you, I'm about ready to drop a movie today as my official recommendation where she's in it and she doesn't play any of the people she's played in the past. Boom. Okay, so you have one exception. Just like Kristen Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's think about this. So, Julia Roberts, you know, of course, she did Pretty Woman. Everybody knows her from that. Steel yeah. Magnolias. Yeah. And the Pelican Brief. I mean, are you not seeing? They're different people. Aaron Brockovich. Now you're naming ones that I haven't watched. You're talking to the movie buff here <laughs> who sees and watches it all. And I That's call true. bullshit on that. That's so That's fair. You've seen more yeah. of her movies than I have. That's a that's a that's yeah. a fair I statement. pretty much Eat Pray Love. I've seen like almost all of you her movies. You saw Eat Pray Love truly. on purpose? I did on purpose. Did you read the book? I did not read the book. Okay. But I saw the movie. And I'm sure, you know, it's one of those where I'm sure that the book was 9,000 times better than the movie because the movie was kind of slow, but it had a nice message. And I think that came across on the movie. Yeah, it's not very often that you get that kind of a book turned into a movie or a TV show or something like that, where it's nonfiction, 
sort of memoir, but sort of also topical. The only other thing I can think of is the TV show Shrill, which was adapted from Lindy West's book. Have you ever watched that? No. Okay, go watch it. (laughs) And then come back. (laughs) Okay. Only if you feel like it. But you watch everything, so I'm a little surprised you haven't watched it cause, because you I know. everything else. I do watch everything. See? Which means you I have know. time. There's nothing left for you to watch. Now you got <laughs> Now you can watch. I know. I've watched everything, so now it's time. Yeah. Yes. What about you? What have you been watching? Well, we haven't talked about what you've been reading Oh, watching. shit. Sorry. <laughs> all right. I'm all excited. We're, we're talking know, about movies. Right? And, ah! Yes. So, Chris, what have you been yes. reading or watching? I have been watching because I have had a lot of book things due, like edits mm-hmm. were due, edits were due, page proofs were due. So I didn't really have a lot of time to read. Yeah. So I have been watching movies because they're quick. Mm-hmm. And also I started uh, American Survivor, which I have to say, I, I just, I'm so tired of it. I <laughs> love the Australian version mm-hmm. so much more. And I am absolutely angry at Paramount Plus for pulling all the seasons. Like, you can't watch Australian Survivor. And it has something to do with because they have a a season going right now, which, of course, we can't see. So, like, literally, I was watching this one season, and we were down to, like, the final six or five, and they pulled the whole season. That's not right. And it's so hard for me not to go online and find out who wins. Because I want to know, but at the same time, I want to watch it because I think that is such a better show than the American version. There's got to be a sketchy site where you can watch it online. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. Look at you. I'm, But, I mean, emphasis on sketchy. I can't guarantee that it won't install some bullshit on your computer. Right. (laughs) That's the last thing I need. Mm -hmm. Ah. Uh, So basically, I've been watching a lot of movies, and I had my parents, they came by, and we watched two movies back-to-back, watched one for my mom, one for my dad, and it ended up, like, we we cried at the, uh, all of us cried on the uh, the movie Dog with Channing Tatum. I don't think I know this one. Yeah, it's uh, basically, it's a a soldier, a canine soldier, who Channing Tatum has been asked to take this dog, to transport this dog to his handler's funeral. Like, I think it's in... New Mexico or something. And so this dog is like out of control, has issues, crazy, not crazy, but just like has uh, anxiety, severe anxiety and separation, just the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so, and because it was military, my father's military, like the whole thing, we're all bawling. So uh, we watched that. And then we watched this uh, movie, Liam Neeson, because I'll watch anything that he's in. Mm -hmm. We watched that. And then last night, get this, I watched Spider-Man, the new one, Mm -hmm. No Way Home. And it was super good. I really liked it. And it was like two and a half hours long. That's a long movie. Neil really liked it, it too. Yeah, it was great. I didn't have a single problem with it. I know maybe some people didn't like the ending. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I thought the whole thing was great. I highly recommend it. Good. That is what I've been watching. What about you? All right. So I've been doing some watching and I've been doing some reading. And the first thing that I watched, because I heard so many people talking about it, was The Tinder Swindler, which is bananas. Have you seen it? Yes. Oh. First of all. Yeah. Can we talk about what's wrong with that? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. So first date, I'm going to fly you somewhere. No, you're going to fly me to some island and sell me to trafficking or leave me for dead. Yeah. Right. Or are you going to leave me for dead? So my answer there is no. Mm-mm. If anybody on Tinder wants to take me or fly me somewhere, that's an automatic no. No, I am showing this movie to my kids when they are in their teens. 
to say, yes, don't do any of this. <laughs> None of this. Right. Don't go with anybody like this. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> don't don't hop on a flight. Yeah. No. Like it's that whole thing for me was so fascinating and so bonkers yes. all right. at the same time. And like I can't imagine there are very few people in my life that I can imagine giving $30,000 to. Right. First of all, who the fuck do I know has $30,000 just to give to somebody? But they, but also these women didn't for the most part have it and we're just taking out like loans after loans and like how do you not especially when it gets to the point where like that one girlfriend and he's berating her and he's like you need to make this right and he's taking them out every single day like at what point do you stop and say what is happening here who are you i can't do this anymore and it's like i just i don't understand I don't understand the 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 psychology around that. Is it like is it almost like a sunk cost fallacy where you're like, well, but I've already put in this much and I can't let these horrible things happen to him or like I don't know. But that was fascinating and terrifying all at the same time. And the fact that he gets to just continue like walking around free, people know right. that he's like this and he's possibly continuing to do the same thing is disgusting. I Hope he chokes a little bit on his food every single day for the rest of his life. Every <laughs> a meal, a lot. every meal. Well, just a little. You know, the- <laughs> I get, I get very upset with women who fall for this. I feel like we've come so far. We know how people. We know how people are. We've there. There are enough shows out there like Catfish, mm-hmm. and if if there are warning bells going off in your head about anything you walk away remember last time we talked or whenever it was we talked about the stripper who wanted me to co-sign on the furniture loan oh yeah. and i was like in my 20s and yes. i was like uh like warning bells and everything and yes. i'm like 25 or 24 i'm like hell no like yes. i know what you're doing yeah. so i don't care like if somebody says to me like and we've only been dating like a month hey i need you to wire me 10 grand i'll send it right back i'll be like bye like, yeah bye although no. I'm and also- i know this is big be- no no you we're don't. older no, we're older and I think we yes. have more experience. But like I said, even though when I was in my 20s, I knew that that was wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what is that? Is that because my parents, like, I know it's my personality, but like maybe my parents took more interest in, in how I was mm-hmm. molded as a child and, and how relationships are built. And, you know, maybe these women didn't have that. I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know what makes somebody okay and do that. I don't understand. I think the thing too is that like we got three of the stories of people who were her were his victims and we heard that there were more but what we didn't hear is that there were probably many 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 more women who he tried to connect with and start something who were like fuck off you greasy weird ass dude what are you even (laughs) doing so yeah that was that was interesting and terrifying all at the same time because I just I just kept thinking about my kids and I was like, oh, <laughs> right, you don't want oh, them to do never. that. Never, no, thank. You. And actually, the one that the one of the three stories that made the most sense to me was the friend because the the one who like she was never romantically involved with him. She's like, I don't think this is right, but okay, we'll be friends, we'll hang out. And that's where I felt like it was almost even more insidious because he's like building this pattern of behavior and showing it and laying all the groundwork and frankly laying more of the groundwork than he did with the girlfriends of like, we're going to travel together. We're going to go to clubs together. We're going to do like they spent a lot of time together. 
before asking for money for the first time. And so for her, all she's thinking is, oh, this is my really good friend. But even then, like, I don't know. I have friends that have been in my life for years. And the trouble has to be real big before I'm going to dip into my investments to help somebody out with something. Right. It's like, you know, I mean, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you need it. You right? know, 500 maybe. Oh my God. But when we're talking 10,000, I mean, I mean, I, I trust you. Sure. I mean, I guess maybe I would you for sure. I would give you 10 grand if I had it. I would say, hey, Don't give, yeah, me 10 grand. give me 10 grand. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you needed it, sure. I would be there sure. for you. Sure. I, but, yeah. uh, you know, it's just, yeah, that's just, that blows my mind. Like that blows my mind. And I know it's because I'm older and I've had more ex- life experiences. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not to their extreme where I've dated somebody and they've flown me to Paris for like lunch or dinner or something. And then, you know, we took like some Lamborghini down the Italian yeah. sideline or something, you know? Well, and I think too, like, we're also at the point in our lives where neither of us is nearly old enough to retire yet, but we are certainly old enough to think about the fact that we would like to retire someday. And so it's right. almost like that's factoring into versus someone who's in their mid twenties who's like, Retire. I wanna what? go <laughs> out to this like bougie place for dinner. Like who cares about retire? Right. So right. equally bonkers. But on a completely different note, and also on Netflix, I also started watching season two of Love is Blind. Oh <laughs> so you're not done. No, I'm not done. I'm on uh, episode uh, seven. Everybody's uh, meeting the families. This show, I gotta say, I do like this season better than last season. Oh, I like the first season better. Oh, did you? Well, I mean, I like them both, but I mean... In both cases, there's people that are just like, just like hot walking messes. And right. how do they get picked? Like, how I do these, no what? Idea. Like, how do they get picked? And there's so many people that we don't even see. Mm-hmm. Like, I wish that you were finished with it because we could talk about like the aftermath and the after oh, the show. Well, and, like, so once my phone ra- figured out that I was watching Love is Blind, it started sending me a bunch of articles about it. <laughs> So I already know, like, who's together by the end of it, who breaks up by the end of it. Like, I, I've, I've had all, I've had basically all the big spoilers, and I'm okay with that. Because at this point, it's mostly, I'm just enjoying the drama. I think for me, though, I have the most fun watching the episodes when they're actually in the pods. Mm-hmm. Because in some cases, and I recognize that we're seeing, like, maybe... 15, 20 minutes. minutes per couple. <laughs> right. Maybe. Right. Of what could be dozens of hours. Yeah. It's two weeks. Yeah. Like it's two weeks, but like they could be spending many, many hours in in the pod talking to someone who they, you know, right. end up choosing. But to me, it feels like two minutes. So I personally find it a little bit hilarious with some of the like, I just love you more than I've loved. Right anyone anybody in my whole life <laughs> and i'm like do you or are you in a high control situation where right you you know that you're on tv and the stakes are high and like do do you feel this because gr- like i'm sorry but some of these couples make no fucking sense whatsoever like for me right from the get-go natalie and shane i think are just the funniest stupidest why Right. Why? Okay. Like, he's yeah, like a sure. selfish and- meathead man baby. 
and she is this like <laughs> brilliant, she's accomplished. Awful. And I could almost she's mean as fuck. She is mean. She is mean. Like she's like good for her. Kudos for being successful and professional yeah. and all that stuff. But she's an asshole. And like, there's a certain time where you can tease somebody. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yes. But really, if it's somebody you're just meeting and you're trying to get to know them, I mean. Oh yeah. Don't be an asshole twenty four seven. No, like I'm, I I had to kind of side with him on that respect. I don't. I can't even tell. I, we can't even talk because you haven't gotten to the one episode, so I can't even talk about this oh, anymore. Man. I'm just saying, like those but, two. Like why? No, those two should never. Have, he should have just stuck with Shayna. They actually probably oh, would have been a better. They they have met up again, at the point of at which I am, and okay. she. I guess my thing is like if her. I'm going to just apologize to all the people who haven't watched Love is Blind yet, I guess, who are probably like, why Spoiler alert. are they talking about this? <laughs> Skip ahead a couple minutes. But, like, yeah. if her faith is so important to her that Kyle right. was a problem, how would Shane not be a problem? She wants... Do we not know? She wants a strong Christian man who can lead her and guide her. And I am sorry, Shane might have some faith, but he is not what she is yeah. looking for. I grew up in that tradition. I was a part of that tradition that she's talking about for more than 30 years. He is not. Why does she think he's it? He's not I don't. It. Yeah. I, so I would like to point out that, that it has come out since then that Natalie was actually proposed to by five other people. <gasps> yeah. It, the people who don't make it on the show. Yeah. So she's had five, five proposals. Yeah. And so it's kind of funny because they show, like, like, you can go online and find it, but you can't go online. You have to finish the series first because, like, some shit goes down and I want you, I want, okay. I want you to, like, I want your reaction to be organic and to see it when okay. it happens because it's fascinating. I did hear that Kyle And then said, we'll talk. I, I heard Kyle said he regretted not uh, proposing to Deep Tea and I think they would have been real cute. And I mean, according to all and the And I'm news, just, I'm sitting here smiling because I know what happens. Well, but- <laughs> Have they actually confirmed it? Are they actually together? Because the last I've seen, it's unconfirmed. No, but I know who he is with. And that's me covering my mouth. And don't you look, because I know you like to look. Well, I know there's questions about Natalie and Sal. Whether they're together now. Yeah. You'll just have to see. All right. Anyway, we got to move on past this. Oh, my God. We spent way (laughs) too much time on the Tinder Swindler and Love is Blind. Okay, the next one, real quick. Okay, everybody knows that I love the headmistress. Not only did I just yes. say it like 15 minutes ago, but also it was my official recommendation. The audiobook is out. It is read by the, it is performed by the incredible Abby Creighton, who I adore as a narrator. And I've been listening to that. It's so good. I finished it yesterday and it's just superb. I don't know how Abby Creighton does it. Cause like, just all the different voices, they're differentiated so well. Like, they are absolutely different characters. It is, I enjoyed it just as much as I did the first time, even knowing what the twist was going to be. I think I might have enjoyed it a little bit more. Because uh, that twist was like a whoo, whoo, the first time I listened to it. I was not prepared for that. So yes, get, if you're looking for your next audiobook, get that. And then I also recently finished a book that I quite enjoyed by Kat Jackson. And it's called The Roads Left Behind Us. It will be out by the time this podcast airs. It's out on March 22nd from Bella Books. And so uh, the premise is that it is a romance between there is a grad student, like someone who's starting her PhD program, but she's kind of like 
She's been out of academia for a little while. She's going back to get her PhD in literature after, you know, taking a break for a bit. So she's 34, I think. And she is going back to the same school where she got her undergrad and her master's degree. She's actually since then become really, really good friends with one of the professors. And there is another professor who is new to the school, but is 50. She's, I'm assuming they gave her tenure with the way they brought her in. And is kind of... So the blurb made me think that she would be an ice queen. And I actually don't think she's an ice queen. I think she's just like a somewhat private person and she runs hot and cold with the other character. And so it's kind of just the like, how do they navigate a relationship in academia? I really enjoyed it. I had a really, really, really good time with this book. I read it over the course of, I think, two or three days. And finishing it kept me up a little past my bedtime, which is something that not a lot of books always do for me anymore. So I was quite impressed by that. My only thing with it, actually, before I say that, boop, 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 backing up. <laughs> so I actually have a master's in English, too. And so what I liked about reading this is that it made me think about that time. And like, I could picture the room where the grad students had their office. And I could picture you know, the the gatherings that would happen with the faculty and the TAs. And like, it just really brought me back to that, which I really, really enjoyed. I thought the chemistry was really good. That worked for me. The only thing that didn't quite work for me is, so like I mentioned, the professor, like she, she runs really hot and cold with the grad student love interest. And that ends up ultimately driving kind of the big, breakup conflict which i don't think is giving away a lot because most romances involve a breakup at some point not all but most do and when they get back together i felt like i didn't really know why the grad student is the one that the whole story is like the whole story is told from her perspective but it's the professor who goes on the big emotional journey mm. and i think if she had if, if the professor had better articulated why her change of heart came about, I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more. And for sure, like, hands down, it would have been an official recommendation. I still, like, honestly, I still say go out and read it. It's great. Uh, I had a, a fun time with it. it. Left me wanting a little bit more in that area. So, Chris. Yes. Speaking of official recommendations. Ooh. What's yours this week? So, I'm going to cheat. What? I'm cheating. I actually kind of have two this week. All right. And they kind of go hand in hand. Okay. So that's kind of why I started off with, um, like, I went down this, this the rabbit hole yesterday, mm -hmm. the queer rabbit hole. Sure. And I picked the movie The Normal Hearts. And lately I've been into documentaries and historical movies and shows that, and not really shows, but just like documentaries and stuff that happened in, in past, you know, I don't mm -hmm. know. I just, I'm into this thing right now. And so I, I came across this movie, and I'd never heard about it. It was back, it's from 2014, and it has an amazing cast, and that's what drew me in. Mm -hmm. So the story, the movie itself is uh, the story of the onset of the HIV-AIDS crisis in New York City in the early 1980s. Mm -hmm. Basically, it, it talks about the nation's sexual politics and gay activists and how to bring about light how to bring AIDS to the forefront mm -hmm. um, in the early 80s when it first came about. 
So the cast, great cast. Listen to this cast. We have Mark Ruffalo, hmm. Taylor Kitsch, Kitsch, I think is how you pronounce his name, Kitsch. I don't know. Super cute boy. Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory. Julia Roberts. Julia, Julia Roberts. Roberts. Julia Roberts. Mm-hmm. And Matt, I think it's Bomer. Bomer, how you pronounce it? So very attractive people are mm-hmm. in this movie. So basically what happens is something that they called gay cancer was spreading in the queer community in the early 1980s. And the government, state and federal, weren't acknowledging it. And it was because it was happening only with gay males. And so nobody was talking about it. And it took, so basically it was the struggle of this group of uh, gay men in New York City. They were trying to get in with the mayor. They were trying to get in, you know, anywhere that they could to get funding. And Julia Roberts is the, is the uh, doctor who is the first doctor to, like, take care of the AIDS patients. But mm-hmm. this is before they really knew it was AIDS. Mm-hmm. And so it just, it kind of goes about, you know, you learn about the hardships of it and how fast it was. You know, back then they didn't know how to treat it or anything. And the minute you got the signs of it, you were dead within a couple months, Mm -hmm. basically is how it was. You know, nowadays there's a lot of medications. And if somebody does ever catch AIDS, they can live a longer life with Mm -hmm. the medications that are available. So, but like I remember, I mean, this is, I was young at the time, very young, very, very young at the time. A toddler. And I was a toddler. Yeah. And so I remember like Ronald Reagan would not talk about AIDS. And it took it took him four years. It was in 1985 when he finally actually said it out loud in public. And during this time, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of people were dying from it and they would not acknowledge it. And so my, you know, I, I didn't know anything about it. I knew that like my sister's friends and, you know, my sister's older, she's four years older. Mm-hmm. And sex, safe sex came about because of this, you know, I mean, prior to this, it was like, I don't want to get pregnant, but then it became, I don't want to catch AIDS. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't really talked about ever. And the first time I really heard about it was I was watching a show and I don't, I think it might've been, I don't know, one of the the late night shows with my dad and Steven Seagal, like biggest loser, he was on there talking about AIDS and he's like, AIDS was man-made, you know, cause they were saying it, you know, it came from chimpanzees, I think, or mm-hmm. primates in Africa. And he's like, nope, it was man-made designed to kill the gays. So that's, that was my introduction to AIDS when I was a child. Like that is what mm-hmm. I heard. And so, so I, I know that there have been a lot of movies about AIDS and the start of it, like Gia. I watched Gia not too long ago. It's a fantastic movie, which I'm at, uh, at some point will probably be a recommendation if I didn't already recommend it. But this was so, it's important to understand everything about being queer, the history of it, how you really do have a voice and how it's important to use your voice. And mm-hmm. people do listen. It might take a long time to get there. You know, but when you have your friends dying, I mean, it was such a big thing. And I think that it's not something that we should forget mm-hmm. about the struggles, you know, about this. So I'm go- so as this, all this is going on, so I'm watching this and, and then I see, I don't know how I saw it, but the nuclear family on HBO, like okay. I went straight into that show. Yeah. And so that's like a three-part miniseries, and it kind of deals with the two, but it's like the first generation of lesbian moms in America. Mm-hmm. And so this this girl, I say this girl, it's a woman, she's like 40 now. 
And so she does this documentary about her family's history because she has two moms. And she's like one of the first Americans without parents, you know, two moms, Mm -hmm. and how that came about. So she wanted to know, she has a, a sister and they have different dads. And so she wanted to find out what the history was, how she came about. And her father, the sperm donor, mm-hmm. literally sperm donor only, uh, was a gay man and he had AIDS. So like this whole thing like was going on. Oh it takes place in about the same time. Yeah. And this case like went to, it was in like the court system for like four years. Yeah. Because the guy wanted custody of his kid. He wanted to have some sort of paternal responsibility. And the moms didn't want that because... You know, the whole idea was they just needed a sperm to to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And he was welcomed into their lives, but he just wasn't, they didn't want to give him the parental right to say, oh, you can't take this child here. You can't do mm-hmm. this with her. She can't go to this doctor. And it really messed her up, messed the kid up because of this huge, I think it started when they were, when she was nine. No, maybe, I don't remember, but it started when she was real young. But there's a lot of old home movies where she's like with her dad and the dad would come over and play with them all and her sister. And so I, I was so I was so fascinated by that. And then so they ended up winning the case. The moms got to keep custody, full custody of their daughter. Mm-hmm. And eventually, and in this case, the father lasted. He was taking the drug, the AIDS drug. So he, his life, expects, I'm trying to think, he lived... You know, like not quite 10 years after he was diagnosed. Oh, wow. Maybe about 10 years. Yeah. So basically after the trial, she had such a bad taste in her mouth about this whole thing. So she never talked to her dad again until he was dying. And he called and said he's dying of AIDS. And would she take the call and talk to him? Mm -hmm. And so it was just a really fascinating story to be the first, one of the first families with, you know, where this has happened. And let me tell you something. I am friends with people who today are having children women lesbians who are having children and one of them has to adopt their own kid so it hasn't come far we have not come far yeah it's amazing Mm -hmm. and not in a good way so anyway so that's what i did so i i went down this whole 80s late 70s 80s you know back that was kind of what i was watching so bah. Anyway, it was heavy, but it was still good to know the history. And also the thing that I found fascinating was we have documentaries and uh, home movies of, you know, the first level of lesbian moms. That is super interesting. And it sounds really, really good. It really is. And they showed them on talk shows. And the people in the audience are just assholes. Like, oh, no, it should be a man and a woman as a family. And this is, you know, goes against God and like that kind of stuff. I want to find those people now. I want to talk to those people now Hmm. just to see where they're at in their beliefs now. Well, yeah. Right. Has it changed at all? Well, it probably depends on who they are. Unfortunately, I mean, there are some people, a lot of people out there who are still bigots. It's such a it just feels like such a weird time. It really does. You know, and I thought we'd be so much more forward and progressive Mm -hmm. now but uh you know thanks to you know who we were set back quite a bit so yeah still an uphill climb anyway so that was my uh my recommendation the two for one Mm -hmm. uh what about you what is your official recommendation okay so i thought i was going to recommend something and i will next time next time (laughs) so stay tuned i have a great book i'm going to recommend next time but 
as you were talking about those two films, it made me think about an audiobook that I recently finished that I think is absolutely worth calling attention to, especially if you are interested in our queer ancestors and getting their stories. And so my official recommendation is Desert of the Heart by Jane Rule. I have kind of a funny relationship with Jane Rule. It's very, very fond. But most of the time when people were asking me, especially back on like old, uh, when the Lesbian Review had the the podcast channel going and I was on podcast with Sheena and whatever, and I would get asked like, okay, what's the, what's the first lesbic you ever read? And I would always say, and playing the role of herself by K.E. Lang, because that was what I remembered. (laughs) And to be fair, that was the book that pulled me into the lesbic scene. That was the book that helped me understand that like, oh, okay, there's a community here. There's a really active, like an incredibly active community where like books are being created all the time and all that. And the thing that I forgot for probably a few years (laughs) is that when I was in university, I came across Jane Rule. So when I was doing my master's degree, I was at a university in Kingston, Ontario, which is this like gorgeous historical town in Ontario, really kind of uh, rich history uh, for in Canada. And they had incredible used bookstores, like just absolutely incredible used bookstores, which makes sense given that it's a relatively small city that has one of the best universities in Canada. And so, you know, it's like students and professors that are all like going in and turning over book collections. And I came across Jane Rule and went, huh, and just like picked up some of her books. And at the time, I mean, this is when I still thought I was straight too, but I was like really drawn to these books and I didn't know why, which of course now I'm like, (laughs) it's because you're queer, you dumbass. (laughs) There's something here. But... Desert of the Heart was actually Jane Rule's first novel. It was turned into the film Desert Hearts, which I haven't seen, but I've heard is quite... That's a long time ago, It's a right? long time ago. And I, yeah. I think it's actually quite different. Like, it's, it's the source material, but I think whoever wrote the script, mm. like, changed it up quite a bit. And it, when it was released in 1964, homosexuality was still illegal across the United States. This was still like four or five years before the Stonewall riots even happened. And Mm -hmm. it takes place in the 1950s. Evelyn Hall is the main character and she goes to Reno, Nevada. She has to be there for six weeks because she needs to get a divorce. She and her husband have been together for more than a decade. They are not happy. She knows, you know, things are not okay. He didn't come back the same after the war, blah, blah, blah. And Reno, pardon me, was the only place where you could get... Uh, a relatively painless divorce. And so she has to stay there at a boarding house for six weeks. And while she's staying there, she meets Anne Childs. Anne's stepmother runs the boarding house. Anne is 15 years younger than Evelyn. And she works at a local casino. She's, she is bisexual. She has been with, like, I think he was her manager at the, at the casino, had been a boyfriend She's currently sleeping with her best friend, Silver, who is actually going to be marrying some other man soon. And, you know, Anna's pretty happy with her life there. She doesn't need to work. She has a big inheritance from her dad, but she kind of likes to. And so that's where she works. And Evelyn just thinks she's coming to Reno for a divorce. But they actually do end up finding, you know, Anna and Evelyn find that they're attracted to each other. And 
decide to explore it. And at the end of it, they kind of have to make a decision because Evelyn's six weeks are up. So are they going to go their separate ways or are they going to start a life together somewhere? You know, are they going to go back where Evelyn's from in California because she's actually an English professor? Are they going to stay in Reno? Anne has enough money to buy a house. They don't know. But I think this book is so important. It's so interesting. And for me, reading it felt kind of like I was cracking open a time capsule, which was amazing. Like I said, it it was released in 1964. It was released at this time when it's not like it's it's not okay to be gay. It's not even I... legal to be gay. And I think the reason she was even able to release this book is that while Jane Rule was born in the United States, she was living in Canada at the time. And she was a professor at UBC, the University of British Columbia. And it was interesting when I, so I uh, recently submitted a review for this to the Lesbian Review. So I guess keep your eyes peeled for that. It might be out by the time this airs or, or will be soon. But I was kind of going and doing some digging because I finished it and, I, and it's one of those books where I guess you can just talk about the book. But for me, I really wanted to see what was its cultural importance? What did it do at the time? You know, it came out at around the same time that Anne Bannon was releasing books in the States, but her books were all pulps, right? Like right. she and what and what she did with the pulps were incredible and they were important. And, and her books are so raw and wonderful. And again, definitely go read those, except maybe skip the one that's really fucking rough because there's one that's really rough right in the middle. But if you want, like read Odd Girl Out, read Bebo Brinker, those two, not rough at all. Those are fine. But Jane Rule became the most famous lesbian in Canada because of this book. And much like what happened with Odd Girl Out and Anne Bannon, Jane Rule ended up with thousands of women writing to her, basically saying, I didn't know it wasn't just me. I thought I was alone. I didn't know there were other people like this. I've been having feelings like this, but I didn't know it was an option to do anything with it. And so I think it's one of those incredibly important books, especially right now, like especially with what you and I were just saying too, before I even started talking about this book, we're in such a weird time where we came so far, especially, you know, in the North America or in the West, you know, we came so far with rights for LGBTQ people. And the way we're sliding back is Ugh. infuriating and yes. scary. But also, we have these examples of people who came before us who fought really, really hard to get all that progress. And so I think for me, what's heartening is seeing that boldness. And being unafraid to, or maybe she was afraid, but she did it anyway. Like she still wrote the book and she still put it out there. And she lived openly queer with her partner on, I think it was on Vancouver Island for like, I don't know, however many decades. And so I absolutely recommend it. And also it was just interesting because it made me want to learn more about that time period. So just as one example, like I didn't know about, I mean, I knew that divorce was hard to get, but I didn't know that because Reno was the only place in the U.S. where it was relatively quick and easy to get a divorce, there was actually a cottage industry around it. 
So, you know, there would be boarding houses. There had to be places where people could come and they could stay. And because you had to prove that you were a permanent resident in Reno to get a divorce. And the way to do that is you had to have been there for at least six weeks. And so these people would set up places where people from out of town could come. They could stay for six weeks. They could say, yep, this is where I live. This is my permanent address. Get their divorce. Hop on a plane and get the fuck out of Reno. (laughs) Which I thought was so interesting. That is. So, yes. Yeah, history. Our history is is both. It's sad and it's also incredible. It is. It is. And I think history is being made again right now. We need to, I mean, a lot of people are speaking up and they are pushing back against the laws in Texas around what's happening with trans kids and how parents that affirm their their children's gender are abusing them. I hope that pushback does something big or the don't say gay bill in Florida. Right. Again, I hope that pushback does something big. And if we want to find, well, how do we do that? Look to the past. Look to the people that did it before. It's been done before. It can be done again. But we kind of, we all have to do it. We all have to take part. I was out uh, with some friends on Friday night celebrating a birthday. And uh, we all decided that if shit goes down, we're all moving to Finland. Well, yeah, not really, Canada's but I mean, not it's safe just safe anymore. <laughs> I know it's like, what is safe? What, where can we go? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's just—I mean, it's kind of a joke, but it's a sad joke. You yeah, know, like we can't even be safe and comfortable in our own country, and that's sad. It like, is stuff like that. You know, nowadays, like when I was like in my early twenties, I kind of felt—I didn't come out till later in life. Later, being like. Mid twenties, <laughs> you know, I wasn't sure. queer in high school. I mean, I was, but I didn't know that. Yeah, you weren't. And it's funny because the signs. I remember there was a girl. She was two years younger. I was a senior, and she was a sophomore. And I was on newspaper, and for some reason, somebody took a picture of her. Mm-hmm. And I worked the dark room because I was on newspaper, and then they were on yearbook staff, and so there was this picture of her, and I just and they had it up there in the in the dark room, and I just I. It was just such a, such a really just a beautiful picture of, of, of just the scene itself of her up against a locker. And I just thought, oh, I just think she's pretty because she's pretty. You know, it wasn't, yes. it wasn't, you know, I didn't understand the tingling, you know, because I was a teenager and sure. I tingled at everything. Yeah. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I was a little bit late and I didn't know that it was okay to rise against this, this whole, you know, pushback against queers. I didn't know at the time that how important it was Mm -hmm. for me to be out and, and speak my truth. Yeah. I I hid forever. I say forever. It felt like forever, you know, so it's important for, for people now to know the history that it it really wasn't that long ago that we were queers were in the closet, even though we've been around forever, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just, so we need to open the door more and more and more and, and, you know, search for the equality. And it's just, it's just, it's so disheartening what has happened here in the United States just in the last six months. Yes. For our queer people and our queer kids. And it's just sad. Yeah. But I told you last night, like, I'm ready to pick it. I'm ready to go somewhere and hold up signs and yes. yeah, use my voice. And honestly, sure. the most important thing, like, yes, absolutely. Pick it, donate to the appropriate organizations, but also don't forget to vote. 
Vote in every right. single election and pay attention to previous voting records of politicians. I mean, don't you all have another, not not presidential election, but don't you all have another election later this year? Uh, 2022, yes. Like, it's the midterms this year. Midterms, yeah. So, like, now is the and... time. Go out and research who is going to be running and make, this is kind of one of those do or die elections. Go do the thing. Yeah, because two years ago, you know, everybody did the thing, and it was good, and then it got bad, so I'm very upset with just our political system here. Mm-hmm. It's just not working for me, so it's not working for a lot of us. Yeah, And, like, so there was a um, a poll, a GCLS poll, a Golden Crown Literary Society poll, on where you wanted you being a member, yeah. uh, anybody voting for 2025 and they gave three options one was seattle one was i think austin texas and the other one was boston Mm -hmm. and i'm like fuck texas you know they're not getting our money which is you know austin's probably the only blue speck in all of texas maybe dallas but still i mean it's just like i i don't want to drive through texas i don't want to i don't even want to be around it it's i know it's it's so tough because it's like on the one hand like Yeah, and I think businesses should also be choosing to boycott Texas, and, like, the film industry should not be filming in Texas. But also, I mean, fuck Disney, given, like, anyway. Right. But (laughs) how do you continue to support the queer people that are in Texas while sending a strong message to the government there? That's true, And I don't know, and I don't know what the answer is there. I don't either. I don't either. Well. Tell us. Read. Desert of the Heart. That's not the answer, but do it anyway. That's my official recommendation. <laughs> Read Desert of Good. the Heart and prepare to get out and vote and mobilize the people around you to get out and vote right. when the midterms roll around if you are in the U.S. And if you are outside of the U.S., I don't know, send a message to somebody you love <laughs> in the U.S. Right. To encourage them and, and try to make some good trouble where you are if rights are changing. That is all for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. If you have enjoyed the show, please make sure you've subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. Just hit that little subscribe button so that you can be notified whenever we release an episode every other Tuesday. If you have a friend that you think would like the show, please, please tell them about it. We'd love to connect with more listeners. And um, as always, if you'd like to support us, there is the Kofi link in our show notes. Never necessary, always appreciated. Or if you want to connect with us on your favorite social media sites, Just search for Queerly Recommended on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or email us at podcast at queerlyrecommended.com. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.